Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Awards Radar Podcast. As always, I'm Joey. Hope you guys had a uh, good holiday. We're recording this uh, the weekend of Christmas, and this is also the New Year's Eve episode, so, uh, I mean, whatever. I don't know what we do for New Year's Eve anymore. Um, But it means it's the year-end wrap-up, so we're going to talk a little bit about 2020. All positive things, I'm sure. You can hear my eyes roll from here. Uh, once again, I am joined by Miles. Say hi, Miles. Hi, Miles. I've got Steve. Hello, hello. And because he is apparently okay with slumming it, sitting in today, we have Keith Lucas. What's up, guys? <laughs> Don't sell hey. yourself too short, man. <laughs> oh, you're killing my next bit. I was about to say, we started literally at the same place. And now... He's potentially getting nominated for an Oscar, and I'm writing about it. So, you know, same place, same place, definitely. Well, yeah. Though in his defense, well, listen, in your defense, you were also in law school at the time, so you were already beating me. There we go. That's, that's one way of looking at it. <laughs> it, it was, eh, this writing thing is okay, but I'm in law school. Uh, I think I like comedy. I was, All right, cool. I make no money, and I might be a cop. You're gonna be, well, you're, like, you're, right. you're, you're going to be, you're going to the police academy? I, did, I, I was. I was in it. And then I oh. quit because I don't like being in the gotcha, army. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I think, uh, what was it? The year the year Funny People came out. That was, that was oh, like six months before I got oh, in. 09? What was that? Oh, eight? Yeah. That was oh, oh, 09. That was after that. That was 09. Oh, 09, uh, maybe 10. I think oh, shit, 09. Shit, when did it come out? Um, I think it was summer oh, 09. Yeah, now. Try to figure it out because I think if only any of us had yeah, two thousand nine. <laughs> we we all have goddamn supercomputers in our pockets. Um, yeah, no, I think two thousand summer oh nine. Yeah, Bing doesn't go. have an answer. Bing's just like, what is that movie? Bing, funny Bing doesn't like, remember funny people. <laughs> Bing shows you a picture of a funny person. It's just like, oh, here's George Carlin. What do you think? It's offering me SG. restaurant results. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly what twenty twenty wants. Here's places you can't eat at. Would you like to not eat at Red Lobster? Well, usually no, but okay. Um, yeah, but we uh, we went to go see Funny People early mm-hmm. at a, a screening. Was it like? Yeah, was it was it a was it a MoMA? No, thing? it was um, was it MoMA? It was, it was definitely Midtown. Uh, yeah, it was not at a normal screening a, room. It was at a like somebody organized it. Yeah, thing. Joe was there, and was it Leslie Mann? He, she might have been there. He was definitely the yeah. focus. Like he sat there and they they went through his like career. It was kind, they kind of did like the evening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Leslie Mann was um, there too. And I feel like it. Yeah. And they they were like, "How's it? How's it? How's it going?" And he's like, "I think they'll let me make another one." <laughs> I remember that so distinctly because I was like, "I loved it." Did you not shut up? I enjoyed it. I mean, I I the yeah. first time I saw it, I was like, eh. you know, I thought the third act was uneven. Then I rewatched it again. Like recently, and I was like, "Oh, this this is definitely his, his best movie." There's something about like watching an unwieldy comedy that I right, like right. for some reason. Like I like that first time. Yeah, I'd read the script. I think that's what helped. That I was like, "Oh, the third act is he learns nothing while getting a second chance." Which I Whereas, which like, you, if you don't go, if you go ahead. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was about to say like, if you go in blind, I think you're just like, the fuck. Like, I think like after like what is you know when I when I watched it the first time I wasn't a stand up comedian so I didn't really get the the intricacies of being a stand up comedian and then as a since I rewatched it like oh yeah he really nailed just like the 
just how sometimes in life you just sort of meander. There's no clean third act, you know what I mean? It's just like some shit happens and you just have to kind of just roll with the punches. And uh, I think that he did a good job in sort of just like laying out laying out the nuances of being a stand-up comedian. So that's that's why I think I appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah. He, he doesn't... No, I was about to say, I don't think Judd Apatow gets enough credit for not being a crowd pleaser. Right. Like, because 40-Year-Old Virgin and Knocked Up were about as crowd pleasing as it gets while still being his sense of mm-hmm. humor, you don't really look like funny people wasn't. This is 40 wasn't. Right. Went back to that with, with, um, with Trainwreck, but that was also... Because Amy Schumer wrote it to be that right. way. But the edges of it were, were him. Like, I remember her saying, he brought up, like, why don't you talk about your dad having a disease? Like, why don't you write that into a script and, and put some drama in? And, and I love King of Staten Island, but it's, you know, it's it's got edges to it. Like, he, he, he veers towards that a lot more when he directs. Like, even some of the things he doesn't direct, like, five-year engagement is is funny right but it's long it has that same meandering like we're gonna make you feel this time and and almost get tired of them like they're getting tired of each right other. I, I think you know he, he pushes the people that he works with to to try to make the his their scripts as human as possible so sometimes when like you know you're going through a moment you're like man this scene seems beleaguered but it's like i mean you know that's, sometimes that's just how life is you know sometimes it's just like it's Again, it's just not like as clean as as most people would expect their movies to be, and I, I think there's some uh, some some what's the word I'm looking for? There's something to respect about that. I think Keith is uh, is grabbing this audio and sending it to Judd Apatow as we speak. That's why he's waiting <laughs> for the right word. Honestly, like, I know. Honestly, I'm, I'm already working with him, so that's why. I gotta, <laughs> oh, there you go. A humble brag. Like, a humble brag. Just confirming. This is the truth. <laughs> He's like, I don't know if you've read the news, but I'm busy. <laughs> no, but through through my through my experience. You said you saw that. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I said through my experience in working with him, I, I, I just appreciate his process a little bit more. Because it's it's a lot of fucking yeah, work. Exactly. He makes a lot of a lot of hard things look easier than they would be. Right, right, right. Okay. So you said you saw it before you were into stand up. How did you get into stand up? I mean, I always loved stand-up. Like, I mean, I mean, I, I grew up a huge fan of Chappelle and Chris Rock and uh, Wanda Sykes, all, all of the legends. And um, I just had an appreciation for it. I always felt like they were, they, they connected to me on a, on a philosophical level just because they, they spoke more truth than most people in my life. And then I went to college and I saw Patrice O'Neill. Uh, he came to our college. And I saw him live and I was like, this dude's a fucking... Uh, wizard like he like he was completely shitting on the audience and making everyone feel like feel awful but people were just like like rolling and just like clap standing up and clapping and I was like man like that that's a superpower uh and I I started to become fascinated with the the comedy seller after seeing uh Patrice O'Neill and then I started just to go to the comedy seller while I was in um my last year of college and I never thought I would do it. I just, you know, just again, just a fondness and appreciation for the craft that, that I had. Because I, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. And, um, you know, one th- uh, my, my law school experience sort of just bottomed out. And uh, I don't know, I was kind of like on a, on a low. And stand-up sort of like, I was like a saving grace for me, man. I was super depressed and just like, you know, that's what law does to you. Not, not all lawyers, but for me at least, it was just like beat me down. And uh, stand-up was sort of like that that it was a saving grace essentially like i just i went to it and 
the first time I stepped on stage, I was like, oh shit, this is this is what I'm meant to be, meant to do. You know, I'm not meant to be a lawyer. I'm meant to do stand up. And I didn't know where it would take me or where where what would happen. But it was just one of those things where it was just like, man, this feels right. And at the first time I did stand up was '09, actually. So so I guess July we went to go see um, funny people, and then a few months later I tried stand up for the first time. What stage were you on? Where were you? East, East Village. Uh, it was in it was it was in the in the East Village. Now it's in Brooklyn, but uh, that was the first time I did it, December '09. I bombed, but it was it was it was <laughs> exhilarating. That's awesome. I feel like that's probably better though to get that get the the bomb out of the way early because I've talked to a couple of comedians who said that first one went really well. They're like, "The fuck is everyone talking about? This is easy." And it makes the second one worse because you are going to bomb like early on. Right. So you get all of your confidence immediately shattered as opposed to starting with, oh, this is really goddamn hard. Right, right, right. And, and in fairness, it was two people in the audience. So like, you know, I had a... And they both knew and they you. Both, and they, they both knew laugh. me and they did not laugh. So I was like... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this is, uh, is going to be an uphill battle. <laughs> Thanks like, for nothing, what did Mom. I pay you for? <laughs> I referenced both of you. I had I had that happen in a and A once, basically. I uh, one of the first times I did like an opening weekend moder- moderating gig was for the movie. Was it Hello? I must be going. The one with uh, Krista Rabbit mm. and uh, I'm spacing on her name, the lead. But um, Blythe Danner was in it also. So I did the Q and A with Blythe Danner and Krista Rabbit at the Angelica goes really well like my my girlfriend's time comes my friend and his girlfriend come i'm like look at me i got i got to do a job <laughs> um like i'm like all proud of myself for some reason and they the the studio or the publicist whoever thought it went well they're like can you do another one and that was a friday night can you do a saturday i'm like sure and this one's in the east village um i think it's the is it the village east it's the one that uh that has that big theater with like the chandelier mm. like um uh, Hateful Eight played there as like the, the, the you know the long cut for like critics, but then they have all those like theaters in the basement. How, how, how many people? How many once. people does it seat? Um, one the big theater seats a lot. The little theater that one of the ones they had us mm-hmm. in there, let's say like thirty, okay. six people were there. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so Chris Rabbit shows up. We're doing it. Nobody asked the question, and you're, oh, and you're looking Christ. at all six. You know, and I, I, I don't, maybe this surprises you, but I don't prepare a whole lot for right. these things. You know, I know I'm not the star of the show. So I asked two or three and then, you know, at, you know, point at the audience, get out of the way, collect my money. But no Damn. questions. I'm running out of them because I'm like, oh, I asked you a lot yesterday. He's like, not thrilled, <laughs> like not showing it, but you can tell he's like, this is, this is a blow to my ego. Like I thought I was. You know, I was getting ready to leave girls. Like, I, you know, he, he's of that time of just like, please don't ask me just right. about girls. And he's like, I, at this point, ask me about <laughs> girls. Like, <laughs> he's doing everything but like blur it out. You want to know what it's like to work with me in Dunham? And one person asked the question before it ends. And it's like his uncle or aunt. It's a relative. Yeah, he, he, he left. Jeez, how, I mean, how, long, how long was it? How long did it last? Like twenty uh, minutes or something damn. like that. I nowadays I probably would have called it. Right. I would have been like, I will do another one. Or, ne- or next time, just go to a bar. Like, like just everyone get up and go to a bar and just get a drink. <laughs> that would yeah, we could have. That would have been more fun. The, you know that 
so that's happened before the Q and A. Before I did, um, I did one at what used to be the uh, the Landmark Sunshine. Rest in peace to God, that theater. So, um, yeah, oh, I love that theater. That was that was one of the first places I went to go like see awards movies when I was first like wait I can just go into the city and th- see things I don't gotta wait. Went to go see like the wrestler there. Jeez. Um, plenty of other things, but I did one for short term twelve with um, John Gallagher. And I showed up early, and he showed up early, and we were just standing around. He's like, the movie's got 40 minutes. Should we just go get a beer? <laughs> He's like, all right. And we talked about, like, Springsteen. Oh, that's amazing. And then came back, and when we started the Q&A, I decided to see how he would react. Like, I fuck with them a little bit. Just because they have personality, it'll right. be fun. And if they don't, you know, like, okay, I got to ask, like, very simple questions. And I just got up, and I was like, uh, we definitely haven't been drinking. <laughs> And he giggled and just started, like, going off on that. I was like, okay, cool. We're, we're going to have fun today. Because, again, like, short-term 12, not a laugh a minute. Right. You know, so I, I feel like at those ones you need a lighter Q&A as opposed to, you know. All right, we are handing out the blades. <laughs> and uh, some of you may want to go side to side. Some of you may want to go up and down if you're not really faking it. Like, whatever's right, good you gotta, for you. you got to balance it out. <laughs> yeah, follow your truth. But we all know how you're feeling right now. Uh, so we didn't do that, but it was almost <laughs> close. And uh, and speaking of that movie, um, we have a question that came in that I'm going to pull up. Uh, we used to, so they used to be called Cinephile Showdowns at a at award circuit, but let's not get sued. <laughs> so we have uh, Filmaholic Faceoffs, and uh, I think you'll get the um, the theme. There's usually a, a theme that ties together to a larger okay. topic so the the two movies in the first one are you pick your preference sorry to bother you or short term 12 hmm this probably sorry to bother you yeah it's 100% sorry to bother you for me short term 12 is great sorry to bother you I think it was my number two of it's two fantastic years, so. man it's uh truly I mean they're both great but yeah it's brilliant I just love that you have to make choices now you're just like I can't afford anyone but I also gotta do my thing <laughs> Uh, Miles, you got nothing to lose. Yeah, I don't. Uh, no, I got to say Especially sorry about you as well. That movie just felt like a, a breath of fresh air. It felt like one of the most creative movies of that year. For sure. I, I go back to it regularly. It's just so much fun. And it like has something to say. Short Term 12 is good, but it's like a solid drama versus something that's uniquely innovative. Yeah. I'd go Short Term 12. I, I, I love both, but... Uh, that I didn't know anything about the film going in. I, I don't even know how I end up seeing it, but I it, it surprised me a lot, and I, uh, you know, just how much I enjoyed it and how much it affected me. So I'll go with that mm. from my, my own personal experience. I will say, Short Term Twelve has launched like a lot of careers. So many careers, man. So um, many. Careers. Yeah, seriously, it's a brilliant film. I mean, I, yeah, it's one of the, it's one of those ones that I feel like not everyone knew everyone in it, but everyone who went to see it had some idea of like. Oh, Brie Larson wasn't she like a like a like a child musician or right, something right. like that? Is she an actress now or like when it was still when Keith when Lakeith was still Keith? Like you know, I think you'd seen him on something. It was like, oh, I know that actor. Like he's good. Or that was your first introduction. Going, I got to keep right. My that was his, that was his breakup for me. Really, just like I feel like I'd seen him in something small before that, but I I can't tell you for sure that I did. I just feel like the name was familiar right. and. um John Gallagher was on was on stage, so like he he had his 
his small amount of people. So like there was always someone in it, and um, and also um, why am I spacing on her name? Uh, Caitlin Deaver and Rami Malek. Like oh, the yeah, movie yeah, is yeah. almost like yeah. embarrassingly well cast. Well, it's one what? that I think yeah. people are going to go back to. Like it's going to age really well, just because. None of them were huge stars at the time they made it, but almost all of them are now. Right. Yeah. No, it was it was it was his, it was it was like Keith's first movie because he was in the short. Oh um, yeah. Unless the Purge Anarchy came out first, he's in that. He's in Selma. It might have just depending on the on you know release dates, but it was probably the first thing you saw him in. Sorry to bother you though. I is one of the best debut films I've ever seen. Agreed. For sure. Agreed. Um, For sure. I think my my literal like note to the publicist I'm like what do you think was I don't know what drug this is but I want more. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I literally to describe it to people was trying to figure out how to do it cuz you don't want to like tell people what the movie is about. You kind of just want them to be like oh it's a comedy but it's weird. I was like at one point Army Hammer wants to convince the lead character of something and he quotes and you would have a horse cock. <laughs> And if that doesn't make you want to see this movie, I can't help you. Yeah, Boots is uh he's a he's a genius. So like it's it's I'm just yeah, I'm glad he got that opportunity because it, it really, really just showed like, you know, you can you can make weird shit in Hollywood. Like it, it can get made and I'm I'm it's like certain movies like that you just don't anticipate being made. But it's like I'm, oh, yeah. I'm that's what I'm thankful for. Like, you know, you can go left field and people it's still like people like responded to it, so Oh yeah, it's it's a movie that you you only make if you're worried you won't make a second right. film, right? And that's that's part of the like the the burst of creativity you get out of people who aren't either on your radar or in Boots' case like has other interests. Right. Like, okay, I may only get one shot at this. I am gonna tell every story I thought about telling because there are there are you know six different movies within that movie that would have been solid choices, and you would have been like, okay, I got it. But there's something about mixing them all together in, in, in such a way that it'll never happen again that way. No. But you're, you're like, I, I have to see what he does next. Right. You're going to pay, you're gonna no, pay attention to him now. And he's, well, he's making a new one. Um, what's it called? I'm a Virgo? Or I forget the title. But, yeah, uh, yeah, something like But it involves like a giant person. Yeah, right? a giant like person in here, Oakland. Yeah. It sounds crazy, but I'm, I'm sure it's going to be so it's, dope. Oh yeah, it's one of those ones where yeah, I'm a Virgo. Amazon's gonna gonna do it. it it's a series though. It's a series yeah. too. So like yeah, so I mean that's the show is an absurdist coming of age joyride about a 13 foot tall black man who lives in Oakland, California. I mean that sounds amazing. That's not right up his alley. Yeah, it sounds yeah sold. Yeah, it sounds like almost. I'm trying to think of like. Well, I mean you can't describe one of his movies by comparing, but. It's almost like Sorry to Bother You meets Atlanta a little bit, hmm. which, I mean, that's not going to not sell, right. sell right. people on it. I think, yeah, uh, it's going yeah. To, it's going straight to Amazon, right? Yeah, they 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 paid for it. They they wanted right. it, so that's a good sign also, because they they got money. They spend. do. All right, so Sorry to Bother You wins. Knives Out or Uncut Gems? Man, that's a tough one. I think I'm gonna go with Knives Out, but I, I can. I'm gonna go Uncut Gems. I, I mean, I, Uncut Gems is great. It's just, but I'm like, which one will I rewatch? 
That's fair. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> do I want to? Do I want to enjoy myself or have an anxiety? Right. I, I think it's brilliant. I think it's flawlessly made. But uh, I, I think I enjoy Knives Out a little bit more. Fair. Miles? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same state of mind. I mean, Uncut Gems is one of the most stressful movies I think I've ever seen. But like, it, it's in a way where you're almost enjoying that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Adam Sandler, some of his best work of all time. Without a doubt. Um, without a doubt. But I think, yeah, I have to go with Knives Out, too. It's just, it's one of those movies that's just solidly entertaining all the way through. It's got a great cast who all get something to do. They all bounce off each other so well. Everyone's just having fun. And it it feels inventive. It feels like it's reinventing itself every 15 minutes or so. So, yeah, I think I got to go with that one. I love them both, again. Um, this is a, a, a good good job by, by Ryan this week. Um I'm going to go Uncut Gems because my pulse is still racing when I think about it. <laughs> just, uh, when I walked into the theater that time, I did not expect what was going to happen. And I'm serious. Like, you walk out of there almost sweating. You know? right. it's like, oh, totally. You'd walk out, out of the theater into the street and be like anxious. Like, wait, I, I don't know, anticipating something in your life because of what you just saw right, on the screen. Right, right. It really riled you up. I'd never had anything like that before. So I'll go with that. Yeah, I uh, I'm on Uncut Gems. I I honestly Knives Out I didn't love until the third act. I granted it was like not a great way to see it. I had, I had substitute taught in the morning, which is always a way to value your life. <laughs> um, and then had taken what who's now a former friend to a, a random pizza place on the Lower East Side because Q from Impractical Jokers was uh, was bartending for the the beer he launched and we both like impractical jokers and i've met it's a brian quinn q i've I've met him a few times so like we recognize each other and we we're gonna kill time there until knives out so we're sitting there i'm talking to him that's fine we have to get ready to go we talk he's like oh what are you going to see i say knives out he's like oh the guy who made the star wars movie i don't like so we talk (laughs) about that for like a couple minutes i'm like i like everything about you q except you not liking last jedi um but also like i don't have the passion in me at that point to like make the case for like I'm like fine great whatever so knives out I'm just like you know that you ever been in a movie theater but you're you're just like you're in you're, you're sitting like sideways and slumped in your seat you're just like I need you to impress me so I think my standards were a little high at the press That's fair. until the third act like once the it starts to come together and and uh, Daniel Craig go, becomes the smartest person in the room then I'm like oh this is the movie everyone was talking about and and I like it a lot but, but I don't know. Uncut Gems is it's like watching someone spin plates for two hours, but somehow enjoyable. Because right. she's like, he's gonna drop. He's a hundred percent gonna drop him, and 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 boy does he drop him eventually. But somehow after winning, I don't know. There's something about it. I I, I like the Safties. I love Sandler when he's doing this kind of stuff. So it, it ever so slightly was was the one I would pick there. Um, next one is two we talked about recently. But we're we're switching actors. You can, you'll tell in a second. Widows or Get Out? Hmm. Probably Get Out. Probably Get Out. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I just it was just like a moment. You know what I mean? Like we, I was in a theater yeah. with all my my homies, and we actually watched it with uh, Rail, and uh, it was just like it was just a moment that I, I'll never forget. And and I think that's probably certainly color in it. I don't know. I mean, you can make the case which one's better made, but like, 
Yeah, Get Out was just such a touchstone for for cinema, and I I just thoroughly remember just like being in that being in the theater and just like feeling all of the emotions. Uh, mm. uh, so yeah, I will go with Get Out. Fair enough. Miles, you can go next. Um, so I talked about Widows uh, last time it came up. I think it's a brilliant movie right up until the last. 20 minutes or so there's that final reveal that i think borderline tanks everything that came before which is a real pity because it's so well acted it's so well shot it looks great it feels great you're in it and then it just kind of derails itself when it really didn't need to um but get out to me is like it's everything i want a great horror movie to be it actually has something to say it feels relevant it feels vibrant it feels like a movie we'll still be talking about 20 years down the line um, yeah, I, I I love Get Out. I have to say that one. Steve? I'd go Get Out as well. Um, mm. I think when that moment occurs, when you realize what's, at, what's going on there, it's just like blows your mind. And just like when you have those moments and they and they like Miles had said, you know, it had much more to say. It's not just uh, entertaining film and to do all it accomplish all it did. And to actually have something more more substance to it that you can discuss and, and watch and, and break down that's something special. So get out. Yeah. It's gonna be a sweep. I'm gonna go get out. I uh at the time didn't I like get out quite a bit. I like Widows. We spoke about it last week. Like I think the stuff that Steve McQueen is doing that's in his wheelhouse of like interest, he's acing. But some of the like genre stuff almost is a little half hearted. Yeah. Not not unenjoyable. Still works. Still is like way above average for like crime movie, criminals, drama, whatever, whatever he's doing at the time. But there are definitely moments where it's like, okay, let's get past this because the stuff that's interesting to me is is ten pages later, and I felt that also. It's not a short movie. Like everything about it, like I would have rather maybe the ninety minute like indie version. Yeah, where it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't make money. But it's definitely the movie he like set out to make, where it's almost like a small axe installment that he did this year. Then, like my crossover success, and and Get Out, I wasn't as bold over the first time like everyone else was. But there's something about watching a movie that's doing something you haven't seen before, especially a right. horror movie, because there so many of them are derivative. So it doesn't have it almost doesn't have to be an impeccably made horror movie to work. Like, no one will argue, and we did the whole podcast on that the first Saw is a perfect movie and, like, impeccably made. But you've never seen that before. And when a horror movie is doing something new, it, it just, like, it voice, like, raises above the level of a lot of other things. In the same way that I got imagined when people saw The Exorcist or, or Psycho or, you know, whatever touchstone horror movie or genre movie in general, you get that, like, feeling in your, in your heart and in your stomach of, like, ooh, this is, like something people are going to wish they had seen at the right. time before it was, you know, like, you know, there's going to be a generation that will have heard of get out before they would have seen it. And it's going to be like, Oh, that's the movie like dad likes <laughs> or like or grandpa likes, you know, ours, ours is, you know, the horror movie we like has someone's like throat ripped out of their, their skull. Like literally it's just snuff films we watch now, you know, like whatever the, whatever the new thing is, like it's going to be quaint by comparison or, more frustratingly, it'll be incredibly relevant still, and then, you know, separate issues there. Right, right. But of the two, I think Get Out is definitely the the more memorable movie, and makes it better. And we got one more. 
Queen and Slim or Sicario? Uh, hmm. For me, uh, probably Sicario. Um, uh, I think I don't know. Telly Sheridan is a he's a he's a he's a brilliant writer, and I just also just the direction. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to top that uh, that scene on the uh, when they're about to go through the through customs. Uh, it's just mm, yeah. you know, it's hard to. I can't think of another scene, for, I mean, at least in the last five years that I that I've seen that was just so like heart racing um yeah i i i will go with sicario for sure yeah no sicario is my pick um that's a movie that's elevated by the people involved like the story is fine but could easily be you know something that you you saw on like a tnt like at 10 o'clock on like a thursday randomly but taylor sheridan is so good at giving that thing layers and and villeneuve is such an accomplished like visual storyteller and, and Roger Deakins and having the cast that it has. Like, that's that's a movie that if you take everyone away, it's still watchable, but it's also, you're like, oh, this is kind of garbage. But, you know, never never discount a writer going, I can take that and right. make that. And that was his first one, right? You know, I can... Yeah, that was... that was the, that was the No one knew where he was. It was actor from... What was the show? It was, uh, it was the FX, like... Oh, yeah, he was on Sons, An- Sons of Anarchy, yeah. Yeah, it was like, oh, the Sons of Anarchy guy wrote, like, a like a border, like, FBI movie? All right, whatever. Oh, it went to Cannes? Like, is it good? And the reviews out of Cannes were, like, fine at the time. They didn't love it. I think they had that same feeling of, like, oh, this is dumb, but kind of well-made. Yeah. And, and, and Denny hadn't made... Um, I mean, Scario was sort of his breakthrough, the people in a bigger way. He was the, like, foreign director. You know, oh, this is your debut. Like, you got, you took what people gave you. You know, so they, I think people were more impressed as it continued through the year and other people liked it, as opposed to, like, on the the festival circuit. So I I liked it quite a bit. Uh, I did love seeing it a second time at an Academy screening and knowing when the, like, surprise beats were happening and just, like, turning to watch. You know, like, very well-dressed, very, like, people you wouldn't expect to be watching Sicario and then like an explosion happens and they jump out of your seat and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why I enjoyed their like momentary misery, but I did. That's because you're a jerk. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, <laughs> but that's true. Uh, Queen and Slim didn't work for me mostly. Like it's well acted, super well acted. I love watching the two of them. In oh, yeah. And, and the story had potential, but there's just, there's a lot of choices that I just, that didn't work. Like I, I appreciate the ambition to tell that story in as ambitious a way as they did, but um, one, the the sex and violence thing, that scene, like, it, it never works. Like, I don't know why filmmakers keep trying it. Everyone thinks they can pull it off. Like, Spielberg thought he could do it in Munich. It just, there's something about the, the intercut of those two that sounds so good on paper, but when you watch, it's like, well, you're just kind of ruining both scenes. For right. Me, as opposed to, like, raising up the That's level. fair. It does have a really good ending. I will say it almost it almost redeems itself at the ending. Like I, it's pretty solid. Takes that weird second act downturn that bugged me, and in the third act, when you're like, "Oh, how are they going to wrap this up?" Raises itself back up. So it was it was like just missed like the the thumbs up recommendation level for me. So like not a not a movie I didn't I hated, but just had enough problems with that. Of the two, Sicario is definitely my pick. So two for Sicario so far. Miles. 
Uh, yeah, Queen and Slim is a movie I probably respect more than enjoy, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. I, I think they took a lot of big swings. Uh, you know, some of them work better than others. Um, and I also think I maybe because I was quite excited for it. So I think I was maybe hoping for something more than what it turned out to be. Um, but Sicario, I mean, I've said it before. Denis Villeneuve is one of my favorite working directors. I feel like he can kind of do no wrong. And this was sort of his big breakout movie. But it's also noteworthy because I feel like the era for like interesting drug movies, like movies about the drug trade, like it's been so long since we've had like a traffic or like a blow or something that really kind of stands out in that subgenre. And Sicario for me is probably the best thing in recent memory that's come even close. Um, you got such a good catch. You, like you said, creative team is just top of the line. The story is a little dumb, but it's one of those things where the execution of it all kind of elevates that sure. to the point where for me, I don't even really think about it. Uh, it's just a well-made movie and yeah, I enjoy it all the way through. So I got to go Sicario. I mean, never, never doubt the effectiveness of a dumb premise. Like, <laughs> they're like, even just like illogical things. Like, I forget who I was talking to about this, but every movie where a teenager is pregnant, like the 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 common sense answer is an abortion. In modern times and with modern sensibilities, especially the setups they have, it's never like, oh, my my long term boyfriend and I have have had an accident. You know, it's it's Juno. It's it's movies. It's um, it's you know, knocked up. And, and the simple answer is like, yeah, but there's no movie if we don't have them continue to have this child. So, you know, never doubt like a dumb sounding decision, like being in the benefit of the movie. Like there's so many things in Sicario that if you were making a like, quote, better movie, you'd be like, maybe don't turn him into like this weird, like lone wolf dude who like, I, but when you're that good at your job, like just let them make the movie and it and it works itself out. Steve. Uh, Sicario. It's a sweep for all the reasons oh, above. Look at that. Interesting. All right. And Ryan McDermott also has a question just for, for Keith, which is frankly kind of selfish, but okay. <laughs> you know. He says, super original question for, for Lucas. Oh, he didn't say Mr. though. So he's like, now, now I don't know. Maybe it's an attack. No. Um, what inspired you to want to tell this particular story? And also at one point, did Ryan Coogler become involved? Uh, for those who don't know, he's talking about Judas and the Black Messiah, which at the uh, time of recording has a release date. It's coming out mm-hmm. in February. I have not seen it. Keith, Keith did not provide it, though. Weirdly, he gave me Matrix Four in June, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what was going over at Warner Brothers. But he came with gifts. But yes, his uh, his highly anticipated one. Basically, the the final word in the Oscar race this year. There's always a there's always a movie that. You kind of want to wait to see before you settle on what the first phase of the season is going to be, and that's that's the one this year. It's it's basically sight unseen. It has all the buzz, so it's in a good spot. But Keith, you can you can talk about it. Uh, I don't need to so I mean, you know, the, the inspiration came from I learned about Fred Hampton in college. I you know I knew about him from the Jay Z lyric, uh, but that's about it. And I you know I knew about the tragedy of it all, but I, I started to learn more about the particulars of the story in college. And it was one of those stories that when you hear about it the first time, it, it's like, it's so shocking that you, that you just, you just don't forget it. It just kind of just sticks in your mind and you never forget the name. You never forget, you know, his speeches and just the, the profound impact that he had on uh, uh, his community. So it was always one of those stories that I was like, man, it, it could be a good, good movie. 
I, just, I don't understand why there hasn't been one yet, but, you know, you just kind of park it in the back of your head. I wasn't even thinking about writing movies before, like, once I got into stand-up, I, I wanted to do, like, TV writing. I wasn't even thinking about film writing as much. Um, but as I got more into the, the business and started to understand the, the, the mechanics of getting a movie made, uh, that was always just a story that kind of stood out to me. And then I, I read this book, um, The Assassination of Fred Hampton by, uh, what's his name? It was his lawyer who, who wrote it. Jeff something, I forget his last name, but he, he, he wrote this fascinating book that just goes over the details of how the FBI and the local, local police uh, conspired to execute Fred Hampton. And again, it, as I learned more about the story and read more about it, I was just like, this, this could be a fascinating story to tell. And while in college, I watched this movie, uh, The Conformist, by uh, Bertolucci. And um, that's, again, that's one of those, I watched it in a philosophy class, I think it was my sophomore year. And um, I was just like, man, this is, we, we need, we, if we could just get a movie like this for the COINTELPRO experience, that could be something that, that could resonate. I wasn't, again, I wasn't sure. It's just like you have these ideas, these simultaneous ideas sort of like working in your head, but you don't, you don't really know how you're gonna execute it. And um, again, I just, me and my brother were just like, if we could figure out the story to tell, then perhaps we could get it made. So around 2013, we started piecing together a story. And we, we had heard that there was a Fred Hampton story already in the works. So we just presumed that they would go from the perspective of Fred Hampton. And we were like, we might need to do something different. And that's when the conformists came back to, our, to us. And we were like, what if we went from the perspective of the person infiltrating the, the, uh, uh, the party, sort of like in a conformist? And um, we started developing the story. And it took us a, a year to like figure out how we want to structure the story. And once we figured out the structure of the story, we were like, OK, I think we have it. And... We wrote a couple outlines and then we were like, all right, we figured it out. It's the conformance meets the departed set within the world of COINTELPRO. Uh, we have our pitch, we have our outline, we're just gonna go pitch it out. And uh, we started pitching it out around 2014, between 2014, 2016, and got no, uh, <laughs> it got passed on by everyone. <laughs> uh, most of the problems was like, it's a period piece, it's too expensive, who the fuck is Fred Hampton? Uh, yeah. Uh, why would we want to make a movie like this that probably won't make any money? And I like, you know, whatever. It's the game. Um, but I don't know. Does that answer your question? Did I did I answer it? <laughs> yeah, no. I, I no, trust me. I'm I'm all about any of those details. No, I just I think I I think it is funny that you you look at the the shift in thinking that takes several years in Hollywood, and you always need something to to sort of break the dam. But yeah, all the things that you know there probably are people who said the exact same things to you now that at the time that now would go well do you have right like because suddenly it's it's profitable suddenly it's it's of the moment as opposed to you know who's fred hampton why do we care why 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 do you want us to spend 20 million dollars making other people care all the like things that yes it's their job to think those things but also there's something to be said for like don't make the same movie a million times that doesn't work either. I mean, and even and even I find it interesting that you know you'll have 
two things that have Fred Hampton the same year after essentially, like you said, like it's not, it was not uncommon for people to be like, we have no idea what you're talking about, right? let alone the story. Yeah. I mean, and, it's still, it and, happened 51 years ago, so there was certainly yeah. time to, to make, make a, a Fred Hampton film. But I think, you know, because he's a Marxist, because, you know, because he condemns capitalism because of the tragedy and how it went down, like people were just like, this is probably an untouchable story. And also, it's just a story yeah, the, buried in history. Like it's one of those things where people were just like, if you if you're not taught it somehow, then you you're, you're probably not going to be made aware of it. So it just wasn't on the radar of a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. Though there is something about like you would think that some executive, and apparently eventually yes, but at the time, you know, even if you don't care about the story, you know, the the politics of it, even if the person doesn't speak to you, just the like cravenness of Hey, how about a story about the time the FBI assassinated an American citizen? Right. Like, you th- you think that would be like, oh, I can I can sell that movie, and 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 even just go from there because that's the that's the, the like that's the part that'll grab on. That's a, that's not. exactly what I thought. <laughs> yeah, I like, thought, Wait, I can I can. Sell I thought this. the like, story this is, is so. Thriller. I thought it was you know it's a thriller. You see you see the genre. You see you know you see you you already see the beats of the story, and I just assumed. And maybe I just didn't do a good good enough job in pitching it, but like I just assumed that people would grab on to just that hook itself. You know, obviously, you know the tragedy of it all and the gravity of the situation it adds more subtext. But you know, as simply as just a, a genre film, I thought that it, it would it would uh, you know elicit some sort of uh, sell, but it didn't. If it was. If it was a mob movie, like if it had been like Italian guys, like remember the time the FBI just like shot, you know, Donnie Brasco? Yeah, but that's like Henry Hill. Remember remember when they shot him? It is a mob film. You know what I mean? Like, but the FBI, they're the gangsters and you have to to see it like that. But, you know, you you know, it takes it takes a creative executive to 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 get that. But again, in fairness, I probably didn't pitch it well enough. Well, it eventually worked out, and and I think the part two was when 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 Ryan Coogler became involved, which I guess is also probably a good part of when the movie starts coming together. Right, start to right. Have other people pushing. So it. after you know after all of after it got passed on, uh, I was like, well, me and my brother were like, we gotta like rethink our strategy. Clearly, something's not hitting. So we were like, maybe if we get maybe if we get a filmmaker involved who could translate our ideas ideas into more of a cinematic way that would be a better sale. And so we started thinking like, yeah. all right, I think we need to work with someone. And um, we just started just doing research about like, you know, directors, up and coming directors who we think could, uh, who, who we would work well with. And um, we we had a list, but then we were, we had to do this. We had to shoot this pilot for FX and it was Killer Mike showed up, eventually went to Netflix, but he shot it first on FX. And Shaka directed the whole thing, and uh, we were working with Shaka on that. We did like a a segment on the on the pilot, and uh, the show didn't get picked up. But we got a chance to work with Shaka, and I was like, man, this dude's super funny, um, easy to work with. Just kind of like he has he has a vibe about him that sort of makes it so that you feel comfortable pitching ideas. And we just started. Th- it, it, we worked with him on like February 2016, and. It kind of like it's one of those things that kind of we 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 put it in the back of our heads like maybe he he could be the person that we we pitch this story to maybe he could like be the person that takes us to the next level 
And from February up until September, we were still working on the outline. And then we were just like, yeah, let's just get Shaka involved, see if, see if he would be down. So we we emailed, we called him and said, like, he was in Hollywood at the time and he came to our place. And we were there for like three or four hours just like pitching him on the story that we wanted to make. We were like, we basically pitched him the same way we pitched all of the uh, the studios. And he immediately understood what we were trying to do. And uh, we just started vibing out on it. And uh, he was like, man, this could be this could be big, this could be brilliant. And um, we started working on the outline together and we, we put together like a, like a 25 page outline or something like that. But Will, who's the uh, other co-writer on the movie, he was writing his own screenplay. Like he had already written a full screenplay about Fred Hampton and uh, it was great. And uh, he sent it over to, to us and we read it and we were like, oh man, this, this, this is like, he had some really like compelling scenes in it. But like if we fuse our story with some of the elements of his screenplay and put it all together, I think we could have something that's, that could sell. And so Shaka mm-hmm. and Will went off and put it all together. They used, you know, the story that we came up with and come to, uh, Will's came from, Fred's perspective, but we switched it and it went from Will's or O'Neill's perspective, so it made it more of a espionage thriller, uh, sort of in the grain of the conformance. And um, that's when uh, they sent the they sent the screen. But once they once we figured out the the fusion of the two, they sent it off to uh, Ryan because Ryan and Shaka had a, a relationship previously. They were they were both at Sundance together. And uh, so Shaka pitched him the idea and then sent him over the script and he loved it. And that's how he got involved. Nice. And so once he got involved, uh, that's when things started like getting crazy. Yeah. You're like, oh, I think we're going to get to make right. this. All right. This is a thing. All right. I hope we're all right. Yeah. And, and everyone's and since then, everyone's as excited as they could be. Like it almost couldn't have gone better. Yeah. Once, uh, yeah. Once Kugler, once this part started. Once Kugler joined and Charles joined that's when people were just like we started getting a little bit more heat uh it was still difficult to sell it because again it's like it's not something it's not a conventional but bi- it's not, I only want to call it a biopic it's not a conventional uh biographical drama so I think people were just like I don't know you know I don't know because it's you know it's not a happy ending you know it's not it's just a Fred Hampton story so it's like it's gonna it's gonna be tragic but I, I felt like we came up with something that told it in a uh, a way that was appealing to, to some to some studios and you know WB came through yeah I uh, I think it even helps having trial Chicago 7 because there is that moment where they tell Bobby seal that that Fred Hampton's been killed and he his reaction is just like yeah I, I kind of expected that like of course this is what happened and you guys I'm sure are involved like just the the like frustration of this was almost inevitable in my head because of the way you guys have been pursuing us. That is is one of the better moments in that movie. And I think if nothing else, also just makes people more interested in this. Like, oh wait, there's an entire movie about that one moment. Yeah, I've, I've whatever you know, whatever angle brings them, right, you know, right. whatever whatever gets them onto into the theater or HBO Max. Wink, wink. <laughs> um, so uh, speaking of, now I'm curious. Where do you fall on that? No pressure, Christopher Nolan is listening. Uh, where do I fall on on the HBO Max uh, move? Obviously, I'm sure you guys weren't like you know the first call they made, 
but I mean, granted, it seemed like neither were any other. Yeah, I don't think they called anyone. I mean, I I think that they, um, you know, they're like deal. They made a choice that they felt was best for their business, and you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't own WB, so you know, I can't, I can't speak for them, and I can't, you know, I'm, I'm of the opinion, like, look, I'm, I'm kind of new to this, so. You know, Chris Vanola is in another realm. <laughs> He's in another yeah. stratosphere. So, like, you know, his opinion is his opinion. But for me, I'm just like, I'm thankful for an opportunity to make films in this time. You know what I mean? Like, it's like one of those things where I can't really, like, get in, get involved into all the politics of it all. But, like, WB gave us an opportunity to make a film that doesn't get made. So, you know, I'm looking at it from that perspective. Uh, where yeah. I mean, good... I even think there's a there's a realm where your your movie benefits from this. Oh, oh, oh like, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, there's 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 no way that you know, Dune, Matrix, Wonder Woman, you know, the temples they will they will financially suffer because of this. There's just no way around like making up the money. Like you know, a subscription HBO Max does not equal going to the movies. That's just how the economy right. works. But you know, the smaller movies like there is you know not to mention the the bad side, but like there's a world where the movie would have not met the audience you guys would have hoped for like that's the yeah who knows i'm terrified any, of box office. any drama i'm terrified of the, the, <clears throat> exactly. hoping for a great box office i'm like this gives this takes a little bit of pressure off our film uh now oh yeah because you could have okay. yeah i was about to say like you could have easily been surprised right you know like it's the movie everyone wanted you know does in the same way that like you had a feeling get out would do well but not that well <clears throat> but at the same time there's a world where no one shows up to get out where there's like, I don't know that franchise Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to go see it. And you know, there's a world where this would have made only a couple of million bucks and like Warner would have, would have been focused on Dune if it, if everything had gone the same way, like maybe it just gets lost in the shuffle and you know, you, you like, Oh, I I don't feel like I got support I need. And in a weird way, you guys are all on equal footing now. And look, look, the box office, if it hits is beautiful, but like, if it doesn't hit, then you, like you said, you get buried and people start to be like, oh, that movie's a failure because it didn't make X amount of dollars. And now we don't have to deal with that narrative. Now it's like, you know, we get to present our story in its purest form and people get to judge it uh, accordingly. Uh, but again, I understand where Nolan's coming from. I mean, his movies make billions of dollars. Like he's he's losing a lot on the back end. Like I, I totally understand his perspective too. So I think people need to start, people need to judge all filmmakers aren't created equally. <laughs> you know. What I mean? are, are you saying your back end is not the size of Christopher Nolan's? <laughs> Let's just say, yeah, it's not. So, like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, we gotta, <laughs> we can't. Although we're, we're grouped together, it's like people are going to react differently to it because of, you know, the situation is different for a lot of people. So Nolan's Nolan's oh, yeah. points are valid, but then on the other end, it's like our our points are valid because you know we want people to see our film. We just want people to see it. And however way they see it, yeah. the most efficient way without getting COVID, that, that's great to us. And like, we don't want people to die seeing our shit. So, you know. Yeah. There is there is also that, that people sort of forget that also, especially if you want to to have a, it be a bigger deal for a group of people. Like if you made a movie that only appealed, like obviously you haven't, but if you made a movie that only appealed to one segment of the community, no matter who that is. And that's that's a group of people who are not even more so like willing to go to a theater right now mm-hmm. because of the health risks involved. Completely rightly so. Like I'm not willing, let alone anyone else. Like you're you're asking for for a problem to be like because you want it to be a like a, a bit of, like a movement of a film. You want 
it to feel like an right. event, no matter the size of the movie. You want it to be like, oh, this is a this is a moment in history that you didn't learn about in school. Like unless, like you said, unless someone taught you, it wasn't in the curriculum. But you know, make the case to go to a movie theater right now. Right. It's it's hard. Like you know, any mo- almost every honest filmmaker will say like. I'm not going, so it's it's hard for me to tell you to go also. Right. Like, I'd love you to go because I like money and success and a career. Like All those things are important, but we're all you know aiming for the common good. So yeah, there's something about like, you can stay home. If you have HBO, you have HBO Max. You can watch this movie. If not, you probably know someone who has HBO. Like there's, you know, this is an accessible for movie. For sure. Now. Definitely more accessible and, than, you know, just going to the theaters, you know, during a pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, and we learned that with with Tenet. Like, my opportunity to see the movie would have been to go to Connecticut. Right. And I don't make a habit of going to Connecticut in good times, let alone, let alone. (laughs) (laughs) There's just not a lot of selling points in Connecticut. Our one Connecticut listener is just screaming at me right now. I think Vince McMahon lives in Connecticut, doesn't he? (laughs) He does. I don't know if that. I don't know know if that's that's a selling point, point, but yeah. I don't know what I would say to him. I really like when Stone Cold Heat would have been <laughs> he's, he's entertained us uh, yeah, a lot over the last 30 plus years. Oh, yeah. I can't, I've never figured out how self-aware he is, though. I don't and know, I man. It, it, gets real, it gets real meta in wrestling, you know? Like, I feel like he has to be somewhat self-aware, but he's super rich and he's a Trump supporter. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. All those things that make you go, you have no self-awareness. But he, he but, plays himself as a cartoon villain. So, he did, I mean, maybe it's art imitating life. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've heard I've heard both sides because I've also, you know, they have the they have the problem with, with steroids and like, you know, injuries or weakness. They have all these like things that they they have very out of date thoughts about in the company. But then, like you said, like he portrayed himself as the cartoon boss who let the like every man hero worker abuse him week in week out. So like he has to somewhat understand i i hope or at least listen to writers i don't i mean i've heard i've heard horror stories i've heard i've heard some crazy things about vince i mean he's he's definitely like i mean he's a fucking ceo man they're all kind of crazy yeah you 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 don't get to the top of a company even if it is your father's company which eh, that just makes the best of people we're learning um, you know, without having that sort of I'm amazing attitude and everyone else is, is lesser than me. I know like 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 Foley always had a better experience with him than others, but I think that was because he was, you know, like the underdog. Like, oh, you're never going to make me any money, so you're never going to lose me any money. I don't really care about you. Go do, you know, it's cute that you think you're a wrestler. Go have fun. And he was the unlikely success story. Hmm. He's, uh, I interviewed him earlier this year. That was, that was a lot of fun. He's great. Because he, uh, I don't have you read his books? He's a really good I read his first one. Yeah, his 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 autobiography is great and his novels are really good too. Yeah, he's a good writer. He hits on like yeah, he's so talented. And I think he was also just nobody talks to him about that. So I pivoted very quickly to that and he was like, Oh, wow. Though we also got kicked out of a hotel room while we were argue, while we were interviewing. So that was just a weird like I don't think you budgeted your time as well as I was hoping for. <laughs> you uh you had ten minutes left when you started this interview, but who knows? Um, I want to talk a little bit about the end of the year and what the year was like. So, you know, we've talked about the films we've liked a little bit, and I'm going to have my awards coming up. Uh, by the time this is up, people have been able to look at it. But, like, for you, what you had, you know, like everyone else, you were largely at mm-hmm. home. 
what and this is going to be for for steve and, and miles also but like what what did you watch that that you liked the best like if you were making a top 10 do you know what would, what would be on it or did you you know how did you fill your time i mean i watched a lot of stuff uh i i mean i just recently watched soul last night and uh, mm. i'm pretty confident that that's the, the best thing i've seen all year um I, w- I would put Soul at the top for now. Maybe I just because I just saw it, but I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I don't know. It's one of those things where, like, you know, in going through a pandemic and reflecting so much on life and the idea of, like, getting a second, basically getting a second chance at life. That's what this, this yeah. pandemic is all about. And Soul sort of just hit those themes really, really hard. So that movie sort of, that movie was really, really um, impressive to me. Uh, I also recently watched Mandor- uh, The Mandalorian, which is just like, I don't know, I'm, I'm a big Star Wars fan, uh, and The Mandalorian just was like, it was it was simple, but it was just like, they, they executed it perfectly. Like, it was, it was everything I think a, a fan wants, you know what I mean? Like, you know, they got they had the nostalgia, but they didn't lean too much on that. Uh, it, it, it was a basically an original character, not original, but like you know, original original yeah. live action character, and I don't know. It was just it was just fun to be in that space again without the pressure of 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 the movie. You know what I mean? Like when you when you're committed to the Skywalker uh, storyline, you kind of get that pressure to, to 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 execute it the way they executed it in the '70s. But it's like with this one, it just felt like. It was just refreshing to be able to just like lose yourself to the story without so much reflecting on how it fits within the the the, the cinematic universe. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, I don't know. I watched a lot of things. I'm trying to think what else did I enjoy. I enjoyed One Night in Miami a lot. Um, yeah. Let's see. What else did I see? He's like, they're also my competitors. So I can't praise them. I mean, you know, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I got paid. I don't really care. Whatever Listen. happens, happens. Uh, yeah. One Night Miami was 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 good. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think. Oh, I mean, a lot of people don't have didn't really. Enjoy, not that they didn't really enjoy it, but they had mixed reviews on it. But I, I really enjoyed Mank, man. I don't know. I, yeah. it's, it's something about like obviously. I mean, I, I just love Fincher, but um, I just think that you know. That that kind of story's been told before, you know, and you know, a '30s writer, and, yeah, Bart Fink, um, but I thought he did it in such a a unique way, and I love that it was black and white, and it was so meticulous, man. Like I, I enjoyed it. I don't know. It was it was it was one of my favorites. And um, yeah, I'm trying to think, what else? What else did I? What else came out this year? A lot a lot of shit came out. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I the days blend together. I got. Yeah, I'm trying to think that. what else did I that that really just like. I feel like I'm missing something. Probably. Mm. Uh, here, what you what you think? Uh, I'll we'll talk a little Mandalorian. So, uh, yeah, what do, what did you guys what did you guys think of season two on the whole? I finished it uh, right after last week's recording. It obviously took me a little bit because of uh, so two. Not a fan of spiders, <laughs> and I knew they were coming. So. <laughs> That I, I I had to brace myself. Took a while, but once I got past the season, was great. I'm curious for everyone if you prefer season one or season two, because they they slowly tinkered a little bit with the format. Not much, 
like season one felt a lot like sort of like Lone Wolf and Cub or Yojimbo, just like very classical Western themes, whether it was, you know, like the Western genre or um, almost like samurai films. Right. They, 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 there, was, there was a lot of influences that were soft, pe- soft pedal, but they were there. Um, you know, some episodes that really for- forward a plot, some that are almost one-off adventures. Felt like a TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, I, I, I like that there's still some of that, but there's also a little bit of their like almost like returning in the Marvel where we're building out the world, which is fine. Like there's nothing wrong with that. I did appreciate that. I never watched the cartoons. Like I know of Rebels and Clone Wars and all Clone that. Clone Wars is amazing, man. But yeah, I, I I know I'm missing out, and I've seen um, it might be Rebels. Is Rebels the one that's like the lead up? It's, it's like a prequel series, right? Clone Wars is the Clone Wars. I know that, but Rebels, I think I saw the pilot of. I think I went to a, an event where they had the pilot, and I remember just being like, "It's there's something about watching Star Wars when you don't know any characters that it's a little harder to get invested for me." Sure. I think it's the same reason why like Rogue One didn't hit me as well the first time. That there's just like I need to I need to care about the characters, and when I don't know them yet, it's harder to care. But um, in in Mandalorian, even not knowing like Ahsoka beyond like the name, like they do a good enough job of giving you an idea of who this person right. is. Um, that it that it really it really worked in that realm. Like the episodes that were tying in things that i wouldn't have been aware of otherwise they didn't i didn't lose anything by not knowing in the same way that like they eventually give you information about like the dark saber and things that you know people know already if you're really into star wars right um so i just want everyone to to do a little uh, mandalorian and just tell me if you prefer season one or season two uh miles you can go first uh, yeah, so I love this show. Uh, in my mind, it's the best Star Wars thing that's come along since Disney sort of took over the property. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, same. And I think both of you guys sort of hit on a, a lot of the reasons why is that it doesn't have that pressure that the movies do. Even the spinoff movies like Rogue One or Solo still have that pressure to connect to the larger universe. And they've got to be very sort of faithful to everything that came before. Uh, Mandalorian, I think, is sort of freed up to tell its own story, and it's at a point in the timeline that we're not super familiar with and that hasn't really been covered very well, so kind of anything goes. Um, I think on balance, I probably enjoyed season two a little more. I think they're both great. I think season two had more sort of big event episodes. If anything, they might have shot themselves in the foot by starting super strong because if the opening episode starts with them fighting a dragon it's kind of hard to then be excited about shooting droids right right um but uh no i think i mean you know they always get some great cameos some great actors it it blows my mind that the production values of it are easily comparable to the movies like it looks as good as you would expect the movies to um there, there's a little bit more especially this season a little more emphasis on some of the fan servicey moments mm-hmm. i mean like we talked about a lot of hey you know this character from the original trilogy you know this character from uh, the clone wars and uh but at the same time they did a good job of making those things accessible to people who hadn't who don't know them from that while still making them feel like a familiar part of the universe and i think you know the thing i've always said that i love the most about the mandalorian is that it rather than something like the rise of skywalker where its only reference point is other star wars movies the mandalorian really takes the time to draw on the films that inspired george lucas to create star wars in the first place you get a lot of that kurosawa influence you get a lot of the sergio leone and spaghetti westerns you get the stuff you know even some flash gordon-y type stuff that really makes it feel more of a piece with star wars rather than just you know 
a tourist destination where you're waiting to see the next familiar face. And even when it's familiar characters, because most of those we've only seen in animation or in the case of like Boba Fett, for example, we've only seen him be cool in the extended universe stuff. As far as the movies are concerned, he's basically the galaxy's biggest goofball. And they find Hmm. a way to sort of redeem him and make him into the cool character that the fans have always kind of imagined him to be. But the movies, at least, never really quite hammered that home. So, yeah, I I think it's wonderful. I'm really excited to see where it goes next. Um I, I'm a big fan. Steve? I've changed my tune on the show. I like the first, I've, I've always liked it, but um, I think season two, it, it really found the the space it should live in. I'm a little concerned about leaning on some of the fan service. You know, I, I don't think we need to hear names constantly. I, I'm, I'm sure that helps with some audiences, but I think for the long run, it'd be better you, you realize how well they're doing and then they say oh yeah and by the way here's you know here's this character or or, or place that you you recognize and i know they're trying to connect and, and world build but um I, I just don't think that's it's as necessary as, as the amount of it the, the volume of it could be lowered a little bit um my one complaint about the show currently is and i don't know if anyone else has caught this but Man, there are a lot of save from behind moments. I don't know how many times they can go back <laughs> to, you know, oh wait, someone's gonna die, and then there's a gunshot from over the shoulder. You know, it's the it's the yeah. uh, Han Solo coming to save the day at the at the Death Star. Yeah, yeah. Every episode, and I'm like, come on, people! You, <laughs> no one noticed at, at the end. Oh, and by the way, so and so is behind you. Uh, overall, I'm I'm really enjoying it. I. The last episode, maybe because I went online on mm, Twitter. Never do that. I saw it. Yeah, Don't. and I did try to avoid it, but I went on. I actually it was Facebook, and then someone posted again a Mark Hamill tweet, which was supposed to be, you know, kind of. A, it was a thinly veiled, and it was so thinly veiled. I'm like, oh, okay, I know what what happens here. If I were you, I'd watch <laughs> Mandalorian. I don't know why Uber Eats. Or That's whatever pretty much what it was. Now. Did you read that? Yeah. No, like, I, well, was, wasn't it just like, hey, has anyone seen anything good on TV lately? Yeah, which, how do you not read into that exactly Listen, what it was? They they paid him several hundred thousand dollars to tweet that day. So, <laughs> well, I want I want fifty dollars for my year subscription to uh, Disney Plus back then. I don't know. Steve Steve's complaining about something, which is a shame because we have R two D two on the line, Steve, for the uh, the follow up <laughs> oh, interview. Hey, R two. Beep 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 beep. <laughs> I need to translate. Mean? It's a uh, fuck you, Steve. Oh, <laughs> Andy Samberg got to him. <laughs> Not again. Yes. But yes, it's a callback to my worst joke. <laughs> Go ahead, finish up. Well done, R2. I'll see you at lunch. Uh, I liked it. If I if I give season one a B plus, I give season two an A minus. I, I would like to go back in again and not know anything and see how the ending worked for me. But um, it seemed to work for a lot of people. I heard a lot of people or read a lot of people were in tears. Um, it didn't hit me that that hard, but uh, but it worked. I mean, I mean, it, it will always look creepy to CGI a human being. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah the know. technology is still not quite there right, yet. Right. It, you feel like it should have improved somewhat after Rogue One, but it, it's still kind of at the same place. Yeah, I mean, even in Rogue One, I felt like of the was there like two Tarkin scenes of note. Well, there's the, the two Tarkin one. scenes, and then there's the Princess Leia at the very end. Well, the Princess Leia is so short, and you're and you're, I think, legitimately surprised to see her, that it gets a little bit of a pass. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the Tarkin scenes, you know, like at least one is an extended sequence where you're like, you, I, I, I'm missing a human being here. Yeah. But they, you know, they're, they, they're still an amazing achievement if you can sort of train your brain not to be blown away. But I think honestly, if you're not, if this was like your introduction to Star Wars, you don't know about them in the same way or you're younger, probably you're just like, what an interesting, like weird, like CGI alien man they put in this movie. Like it doesn't even, you know, hit you as like, oh, this is what they were trying to do. Um, the only thing I missed with this with this version is, you know, the you're you're bringing all the emotion to that scene. You know, the the CGI Luke spoiler is not you know doing the heavy lifting for you. Right. You have you have to care. Otherwise, you know, the the line delivery and the and the expression is not gonna not gonna do it to you. Honestly, R two D two does a better job of that because mm-hmm. you know they they can roll out the uh, the plastic no matter when they need to and and he's there, but. I, I honestly I think I preferred season one, but they're both great. There's not a there's not a huge difference. I just like some of the the small things in season one better, um, like the prison episode where you get to see yeah. like yeah he gets to be he get him at his epitome of coolness and like badassery because otherwise there is a lot especially in this season of him like you like Steve mentioned like the getting saved from behind he's not. Like, we never assumed he was bad at his job, and I don't think he's bad at his job, but he has the worst luck. Yeah. He does not fare very well. I think Miles made a good point weeks ago, that it, the idea of it's not that he's bad, it's that this is such a dangerous world that you have to be this good to just, like, get by right. in his situations. But exactly, there are a lot yeah. of there are There were a lot of times this season where he would have died. The... Mm-hmm. The second episode, like the first episode, he he saves the day. Second episode, the rebel, the the alliance, new republic, whatever the hell we're at, we're at this timeline, the the good guys, quote unquote, like save the day. He would have died. Um, Boba Fett saves him at least once. Like there's there there are there are several points in the season where his hand would not have been enough, which is an interesting also for a hero. Like an interesting thing to have like your, your protagonist also almost always need a sidekick plus baby Yoda slash Grogu. Don't love the name. It just sounds like a porno product, frankly. <laughs> Listen, I've heard a lot of backlash about the name, and I think we need to take a step back and realize that there's not a single name in the Star Wars universe that doesn't sound at least a little stupid. Like, Grogu is as good a name as any other that I've heard in any of these properties. I mean, it depends on the name we're going with. Um, wait, now now I have a question. What's the worst name in Star Wars? Jar Jar Binks. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, worst name, not worst no, character. No, both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. I have a worse one, but that's a good one. Like, Steve, you got one? He's like, R2, he's like R2-D2 now. Yeah, you know, I, I don't hold the grudge. I named my daughter after uh, one of the characters, so I I can't say they're all the worst. Thanks, Miles. But you named your daughter Palpatine. <laughs> I named my daughter after Bib Fortuna. <laughs> yeah, the, the name matches her. Name really <laughs> matches her. I, there's one I can't remember off the top of my head. One of the aliens has one of those names that's got like five apostrophes in it, and it's just this unpronounceable gibberish. But I'm going to say rather than naming a character, I'm going to say the worst one is the fact that the. Uh, the big-headed uh, aliens that play the music in um, the cantina scene in A New Hope. The genre of music is uh, officially, canonically referred to in the Star Wars universe as jizz music. Mm. So yeah. I think that gets I think that gets the trophy for me. It makes sense. Who doesn't like <laughs> um, 
I think so. I think there's so the worst human name is Porkins, clearly for the fat guy. Yeah, it's that's bad. just <laughs> it's just it's just mean. And then he it almost looks like he crashes because it's too heavy. Like everything about that's awful. Um, no, the the two worst names. Actually, it's a tie because there's also like a guy in Attack of the Clones named Elon Sleazebagano or something like that. Like the bad guy is just named Sleazebag. But no, the the worst name is is it also Attack of the Clones? Not the rag on the prequels. Um, yeah, it is Attack of the Clones. The like diner they go to, oh, which Dexter is also Jetster. weird. <laughs> Dexter Jetster. I was thinking. I nearly went with that one. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. I love that. That like, first of all, that someone thought that was a good idea. Only one person, mind you. But the, like that would be hacky. Like today, like Keith, would you go to Dexter Jetsters? No. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be like Johnny Rockets is is a little questionable already. Let alone Dexter Jetsters. Ugh. Um, that uh, there's there's another one um, from Jabba's band, Droopy McCool. Oh yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, like, wait, there's there's a list of this. I'm gonna pull it up. Uh, Matt Singer over at Screen Crush did it a while ago. Let me see if I can find it. There's several Max members Rebo. of Jabba's. Yeah, Max Rebo. There's several members of Jabba's band that have ridiculous names. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We got. Uh, so, do you know what Darth Maul's brother is named? No, is that Gary <laughs> Chad Savage Maul. Savage Oppress. Oh God, that's so. Yeah, that's just not good. Yeah, that was a that was a placeholder, and they just never fixed it. Um, <laughs> there's a character named I'm a gonna die. Is that one of the Gungans or something? No, it's a cartoon character who dies in his first appearance. Oh, cool. So, so I, I guess they just write what's gonna happen sometimes to these characters. It's like Corporal uh, Redshirt. Yeah. We got Droopy McCool. Um, he's a very droopy-looking guy, and he plays music, so I guess he is cool. Uh, Elon Sleazebagano. <laughs> the guy peddling death sticks in Attack of the Clones. So, mm. a sleazebag. This is just what it's going to be, right? Just people who do things. Um, one of the X-Wing pilots who's an alien, I guess, in one of the new ones, is named Elo Asti. So, Elo Nasty, if you say it like with a little bit of an accent. Uh, Poggle the Lesser. I mean, you couldn't even just name him Poggle the Greater. <laughs> Jack Porkins. Clegg Holdfast. Sure. Kit Fisto. <laughs> I kind of like I mean, that his... one just because it's so audacious. <laughs> well, I mean, his his porn career is really taking off. Um, what an impractical what? Jedi, too, because he's got tentacles flowing all over the place. How does he not slice them off every time he's got his lightsaber going? Oh, he has so many more test, uh, uh, tentacles that are no longer there. I almost said testicles. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in, it's Star Wars. He probably has those, too. Yeah, he has tentacle testicles. Yeah. Again, I said he has a he has an excellent porn career. That's why, that's why. Um, they have their own franchise. What do you think Jabba the Hutt's grandmother is called? Hmm. Spoiler alert, it's the hut at the end. So don't get too creative. Oof. Hmm. I mean, it's going to be a nonsense word, so I don't know how we can guess this, unless it's literally like Granny the Hut. <laughs> you're so closer. You're so much closer than you'd expect. Mama the Hut? Keith wins. It's Mama the Hut. Is it real? <laughs> it's Mama the Hut. <laughs> that might be my new that's favorite. That's a great one, actually. man. That's kind, of, that's kind of genius. Mama the Hut? <laughs> uh. Mama the, I love that. <laughs> 
there's something about it where it's awful, but you're also like, yeah, I guess. It's like they didn't I, even try name. to do a name. It's just mother. So stupid. I'm also curious, is she like a mob boss also, or is she just Sounds like, like a mob boss? Is she like is she Pesci's like mom in, in Goodfellas where she's just making Jabba food the whole time? God, I wanna I want a mom of the hut I hope the book of Boba, Boba Fett gets into Mama Mom of the Hut's history. Maybe. I mean I've always said for years they do all these spin-offs and stuff. The only one I've ever wanted to see is like the Jabba the Hut Origins movie. I want to see like Goodfellas with the Huts. That's the movie I've been waiting for. I'm I'm looking up. I love that they they on Wikipedia they say Mama was so she's dead an elder obese female hut so she's fat for a hut apparently. <laughs> so we're we're watching like the fat huts which is wild. What other names that this has gone completely off the rails. Um, slow and low, slow and low. Yeah. So that's something you put that's in your name. coffee or? I know. Salacious B Crumb. I disagree. I love that name. That's a good name. Uh, Therm Scissor Punch from Solo. I mean, he has like lobster claw hands, so I guess maybe he does give a scissor punch. Yeah, that's valid. Sure. Dexter Jetster. And at Maz Katana's and I guess uh, Force Awakens, there's a guy named Strono Tugs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it does make me feel kind of better about my choices in life that the people who are paid to come up with Star Wars names are as lazy as I am. Yeah, at this point, they're just seeing what they can get away with. <laughs> I kind of I, Now I want that job. I'm like, sign me up. Also, it should um, be mentioned that with maybe one or two exceptions, almost none of these names actually are spoken in the respective movies. They're all like either decided after the fact or somebody on set just randomly came up with it and it stuck. Oh, it's insane yeah. how many names we know from the original trilogy they never sp- speak. Like, think about it. When did you know the name Max Rebo? Like, they never say Max Rebo in that movie, but we knew that name. Like The figures. Action figures. Yeah, action figures did a lot of Falk, the work for us. Dengar. The books. Which um, all the, all, all the, uh, the bounty hunters. I think yeah, there was, a, there was a book I read as a kid that was Tales from the Moss Eisley Cantina. That was pretty good. That was just like short stories about all the different like you know aliens and stuff, and I, I feel like there was a Max Rebo story about like ah oh, this like he's a struggling. It was like La La Land, but with Max Rebo, <laughs> like, it's like struggling jazz musician. I'm sorry, jazz musician. <laughs> God, I want to make that movie now. Um, before we Jizz, get too Star silly, Wars story, you you think that hasn't been made? Oh, it's in production. I mean, you you didn't have to change Solo to make a make the parody out of it. Mm-hmm. Solo, a singular Star Wars story. Um, so here, what uh, Keith mentioned a few movies that he liked this year. As we prepare for my uh, my stuff, Steve and Miles, um, give me each your favorite film of the year, your favorite performance of the year, and your favorite scene of the year. Okay, Steve, you want to go ahead? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have lists. Yeah, so I get it. I need a second. Uh, I don't have favorites. I'm not going to give you favorites right now because I haven't really sat down to think about that. Are you Um, the one promoting a product? Have opinions. uh, Keith is allowed to play nice. No, no. I, I just. I have opinions. I just don't know for sure what where they they land. I know Uh, one 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 curse out one curse out from Andy Samberg, and now you're gun shy. Uh, (laughs) 
I, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll try to shake it. Uh, I think my favorite film of the year is Promising Young Woman. Um, all right. But, you know, I liked, I, I, I liked a lot. I liked the, there's a lot of films that... You give a runner-up. You know, Sound of Metal, uh, Wolf Walkers, Hamilton, even though I don't know where that lands uh, technically. But, uh, you know, some incredible uh, different experiences. Um, Ex- Extraordinary, which is a really small film that I found on Canopy and uh, and fell in love with if you haven't watched it check it out very funny um well what else performance of the year yeah and and do a performance could be could be male or female we're both if you want to split and give two um scene of the year i like the wolf walkers being in the being in the wolf's eyes when if you haven't seen the film i won't spoil it but there's a uh, a scene where you're uh experiencing through the things through the eyes of the wolves which i thought was really beautiful um, cool performance of course there's there's uh, mulligan but um what's it pa- paul racy is that how you pronounce his name from sound of metal from sound of metal i thought okay. i thought his such a, a small quiet performance but there's so much there often sitting there in silence just looking and and what was conveyed in his eyes and, and uh, i thought he was spectacular cool Keith, uh, it's Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> I, I mean, I, act, I, like just I actually case. don't mean... I mean, no, they're, they're brilliant. They're, they're brilliant in the movie. I, I wish... I mean, as a, as a fan of cinema, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, it's two of the best performances I've ever seen. But um, excluding Judas from, from this one, um, I'm going to go with... What's the, what's the best performance we've seen? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I liked, uh, I liked, uh, I liked Tina Fey and Jamie Foxx and so. Yeah. I really, I really, I really enjoyed That works. I really enjoyed their performance. Voice acting is tough. Voice acting is a very tough thing to do. It's basically like to convey emotions the way they were able to convey them and I don't know. I just thought that they, they, they executed it brilliantly. Fair. All right. Miles, you've delayed enough. Yes. So I've got my stuff pulled up. So a little peek behind the curtain. Joey told me on, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday, by the way, catch up on all the films you haven't seen yet because we're doing year in review on Sunday. So I like, mean, he, awesome. He, I mean, he also had 360 how many days to do this? So, you know. Yeah, some, some. I don't know. This year's been weird for me. I, I haven't been keeping up with movies that are coming out, I think, because I haven't been able to go to the theater as often. So I've been doing a lot of, like, I watched a whole bunch of horror movies from across the years uh, for October. Um, I actually put a pause on my James Bond marathon just for you, Joey. So, uh, right. you know, I, I decided to just leave the taste of Die Another Day in my mouth as I went through some of these Oscar contenders that I've missed. It so, was on TV a couple days ago, and I watched part of it just for you. Oh, great. Um, so it, what's funny is I did watch a bunch of the contender films and they all are going to probably show up in various places on my top 10 or top 15. But funny enough, my best film of the year has not changed. And that is still freaky. It nice. is. I can't make any kind of argument that it's the objective best film of the year. But for me personally, for the kind of things I like to see in a movie, it just hit that perfect sweet spot of it's a one of the best slasher films that's come out in like decades. It's so funny. It's actually somewhat heartfelt. It's got perhaps Vince Vaughn's best performance ever. It just, it just, 
hit a chord with me and I feel like it's going to be hard for anything else to top it, at least for 2020 for me. Um, best performance, I'm going to say is a tie. Well, I'm going to give honorable mention to Vince Vaughn again, but uh, just to keep things varied, I'm going to say it's a tie between Carrie Mulligan and Promising Young Woman and uh, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I think, Joey, you made the point in uh, an earlier episode that um, on paper, it's an incredibly unlikable character, but the way he plays it makes him just so charismatic and interesting to watch. And, you know, obviously there's the, you know, underlying tragedy of it being his last performance, but I think, you know, what a hell of a note to go out on. Um, And then I don't know if I have a best scene of the year, but I have a best line of the year, which is from... um, which is from Trial of Chicago 7. There's the sequence where they're sort of realizing that so many people they knew um, throughout the protests were actually undercover cops. And at one point, the two guys that sort of don't really know why they're there lean over to each other. And one says, do you think it's possible that seven demonstrators led 10,000 undercover cops in protest last summer? And <laughs> something about that line just cracked me up. We had to pause the movie so I could just get the giggles out because <laughs> I just thought it was so... It just hit the nail on the head about the ridiculousness of the whole situation. Uh, so yeah, that's my picks. Nice. Um, I'll go through a few. I, you know, my list is on the site, and I'd rather people click and read. But "Promising Young Woman" is my number one of the year. I suspect um, it's going to be on a lot of the staff lists. Uh, "Never Really, Sometimes Always" is the runner-up. So I apparently am a focus features stan, as the uh, kids say. Um, and I, ironically, both of my best female performances of the year are Carrie Mulligan and Sydney Flanagan, 1A, 1B, however I come down on it. Um, though I, I, I will remind people my my best male actor of the year is, is still Ben Affleck in The Way Back, which that performance is still absurdly good. And even even more haunting when you hear about some of the things in it that he uh, he took from real life, like these little moments of how he taps the beer can before he opens it. Um, apparently that was his thing when he was a real drunk as opposed to one he played in a movie. So, um, something about the performance just really hit. Um, there were a lot of other movies that, like, I, I kept it off my top 10, but I gave it a special citation. The, uh, Springsteen documentary Letter to You, which is about him making the new album. There's just something about watching the creative process of someone who's a genius that, you know, and the music is great, but, you know, watching the E Street Band work behind the scenes is something you've never really seen before or at least in a in a non-filtered way and uh, i spoke to the director and, and it was interesting how like they just sort of stand back and go like they know what they're doing let's just depict it and it shows up it's really it's really special if you like music and if you like springsteen it's a must watch um other things i'd like to highlight spontaneous spontaneous is an excellent movie um keith i don't know if, you probably haven't seen it right i haven't seen spontaneous now Nobody saw it. Um, it's not. It wasn't marketed well, but it's basically if David Cronenberg directed The Fault in Our Stars. Hmm. It's it's about teenagers who start spontaneously combusting. Oh wow! Yeah, and it's violent and gory and really funny. And about ten minutes in, someone says this is just like a Cronenberg movie, and it won me over almost immediately. So that's a movie I think people should seek out. Um, Banana Split. And Buffalo, these are small indie um, comedies that have really great performances. Zoe Deutsch and Buffalo. Ben Asplet has Hannah Marks and Leon Liberato. Hannah Marks also co-wrote the movie, which has um, one of the best lines of the year. We were talking about lines. Um, she, The premise of that movie is that 
Hannah Marks' character is they're both teenage girls. She broke up with an ex. He started dating this other girl. These two girls become best friends. So they sort of have a the underlying issue of like one of them's dating the other's ex, but she's encouraged to talk to her at a high school party early on in the movie and, and her response is, How am I supposed to introduce myself? Hi, I hear I you let the guy I love come inside of you. How are you doing? Like there's just something about that line that I was like, that is not what I expected to hear out of this character. Um, and then the other best line of the year is from Trial of Chicago 7, when uh, when they ask Gabby Hoffman how you peacefully overthrow your government, and he says, in this country, we do it every four years. I like that line quite a bit. So for the rest of the awards, you guys will read on the site but if you want we can wrap up by giving a special like personal citation whatever you want whether it's a film performance editing cinematography a line a scene whatever you want you guys can each do a uh, a 2020 cinematic highlight of some sort so uh keith miles and steve so keith can go first um yeah, man, I, I'm gonna go back to Soul, man. The barbershop scene in Soul, I thought mm. was just—I don't know—it was very poignant, uh, incredibly philosophical. I, I love movies that can tap into philosophy in a in a, in a very uh, accessible way, and uh, I, mm. I, I think that Soul just knocked it out of the park. Um, so I, I would want to highlight that. Yeah, more accessible than, than my intro philosophy class <laughs> in college, I'd even oh, say. Yeah. I, I I was looking forward to that class, you know, because that's like you never get that in high school. So it's one of those like, oh, well-rounded college person. I guess philosophy will be fun. I got like a 175-year-old man. So he was around. He knew Descartes. Like, you know, he, he was down with the first wave of philosophy. Did not have any style to his delivery and just basically made it as boring as possible. Though it was one of my finest hours when I convinced him that the midterm was due a week, a week later than it was on the day it was due. <laughs> Listen, you That's know, impressive. philosophy. Impressive. Yeah, he, you could see the seeds of doubt start to place in his head. And I knew I had him. And I just needed enough people in the class to, to be behind me. Yeah, ph- philosophy so, uh, is was... tough to, to, you know, you know, get across in cinema and in in again, in an accessible way. And, if you're able to pull that off, I just I, I give kudos to, to any filmmaker that's able to do it. So you'd th- you'd think more would try, and I, I'm like I'm with you. I love when when they can pull it off because I feel like almost every writer or storyteller or filmmaker is interested in philosophy in some way because it is like the the brain dreaming and then to want to make movies and tell stories and do those things as opposed to you know a real job. Not that I have one. Um, you know, you got to have that aspect of for sure. Of and, and there's generally like a philosophical thing. subtext to every film, right? Like every character has <laughs> some sort of point of view or ideals that they follow that you can sort of shape uh, philosophically. So like it's it's generally there in the subtext, but to be able to like explicitly, uh, you know, uh, get it uh, get it across on on screen, I think it's it's the tough part. Uh, and uh, yeah. it, of course, animation and Pixar pulls it off. So, I mean, they're just brilliant screenwriters, brilliant filmmakers. Yeah. All right, Miles, your 
your Miles Award. Like, why not the Joey Awards? You get your Miles Award. Oh, man. Um, I don't want to be redundant and just go with my favorite of the year again, but I feel like Freaky is just <laughs> such a such an out-of-nowhere, like, blend of genres that just works so well. It's the same writer-director who brought us the Happy Death Day films, and I feel like he just has such a great grasp of horror. Like, for somebody like me who, you know, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool gorehound, I love, you know the nastiest stuff possible so it, it's got something for that but it's also got something for you know high schoolers who are you know maybe having trouble fitting in or feeling bullied or feeling like they don't belong it, it's got something to say about like identity politics um it's got one of the most quietly sort of progressive scenes i've seen all year where um her one friend who's like you know just shy of being you know a very gay stereotype um, has to explain why he's got the teenage girl who's actually a serial killer tied up in his room. And he tries to tell him, uh, Mom, I have something to tell you. I'm straight. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, the, it's a reversal on sort of a classic scene. And then, you know, her reaction's like, honey, you are a lot of things, but straight is not one of them. Just this sort of like underlying acceptance that I feel like mainstream movies, they still got to glamorize it. They've still got to make such a big thing. And I'm finding myself more and more drawn to you know, representation and diversity that's not made a big deal out of, that just is allowed to exist as its own thing. Mm. Um, and I think there's just sort of a lot to be said for uh, a movie to take some big swings. There's, you know, the scene where, you know, Vince Vaughn playing a teenage girl is in the back seat with uh, the guy who's, you know, her big crush. And there's so many ways that that scene could have, like, been awkward or cringy or weird or gross. But the fact that out of everything it could have been, it plays it sweet and, like, sincere is just mind-blowing to me. So it's not a movie that's going to win any awards. And I, I, it did well at the box office, but I don't think it shattered any records or anything like I, that. But, I love that movie. Though uh, I will say that scene in question, the, the kissing scene in mm -hmm. the backseat, um was uh, was labeled by one prominent person as disappointing kevin space <laughs> oh well is it is, is there any truth you to use the, rumor the word that, prominent very loosely is there any truth to the rumor that you watched it with him while discussing your upcoming project <laughs> i can neither confirm nor deny these allegations <laughs> but i will deny is it, them <laughs> can we is there any truth to the rumor that you are the dp on uh, his latest video considering there. it hadn't hadn't come out when we spoke of it so i wonder if uh you had some insider information uh there's no truth to that i'm not a dp there you go it's like i couldn't i couldn't shoot that way talking about uh, steve this is your chance to make up with andy samberg oh yeah uh like, no, so not, i saw this film that. called palm springs earlier this year <laughs> i thought it was okay um i'm gonna go with the songwriting team behind uh, Eurovision Song Contest. I, I thought they were catchy. Deserve to be recognized during this award season. And if you haven't watched it yet, go watch it. It's a good film. Quite funny. Yeah, yeah, ding dong. Did you see it? I saw, I, I, I've heard the song. And I've seen the movie. I didn't love the movie, but the songs were amusing. I do, I do, I do like the uh, the momentary like thought of like, will yeah, yeah, ding dong get nominated for an Oscar? It won't. But there's something cool about that. Even though, like, there, this is sort of the year of offbeat movie song contenders, because Amazon is is pushing Wuhan flu. Oh, really? <laughs> it won't get, it won't win Ooh. or get nominated, but 
I could see it like slipping into the globes or something like that. But can you imagine having to perform that on television? Oh my god! Yeah, I feel I uncomfortable mean, just thinking about that. They got to like yeah. do costumes. They got to choreograph a dance number. Oh, maybe maybe they'll go back to that uh, interpretive dance for the uh, the nominees again. <laughs> or maybe they'll just they decide just, oh. not to perform the nominees this year. <laughs> they'll do what they did last year. We're not going to have every nominee perform. And this time, no one will mind. Ugh. All right, let's wrap up. Uh, Keith, if you want to share where people can follow you, sure. feel free to do so and uh, promote your movie. This is your, this is your time to whore as you see fit. <laughs> um, yeah, you can follow me on, uh, at I think it's at the Lucas Bros. For, I, only, only, I really only use Instagram. I think it's at the Lucas Bros. Yeah. At the Lucas Bros, you can follow me there. And uh, yeah, our movie comes out, Judas and the Black Messiah, February 12th. And um, it's coming out, and I hope people watch it. And, you know, it's, uh, I don't want to be too uh, pushy, but yeah, I think it's a brilliant film. And it's not just because I'm involved with it, but, you know, I, I, I've, been, I've seen it so many times. It's like scores to my, in my mind, but I, I think it's brilliant. But I also believe that it's very educational. And it, you know, it tells the story of a, of a man who I think uh, was very inspirational. Uh, even if you don't even want to watch the movie, go look at some Fred Hampton speeches and it'll, it'll rile you up. And uh, he was such a charismatic guy. And uh, it was, it's such a tragedy of how he was taken out and such a, um, in such a way that is, is shameful in American history. And uh, it's one of those things that I think everyone should know about. And I feel like if, if, you, if you leave here with anything, it's just like Fred Hampton was a, was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant guy. And uh, I truly adore him. And, and I'm, I'm just fortunate enough to be able to tell a story in a way that I think will um, uh, intrigue people. So Awesome. And I also do love, not to sort of, blow you a little more but the uh some of the upcoming projects that you have i just love that there's a world where someone sees judas and black messiah reads the screenplay credits he goes okay i gotta i gotta seek out the next work and this is a year or two down the line and they go what did they what did what did the lucas brothers revenge of the nerds really <laughs> like it's the 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 ability to pivot and obviously you guys have a comedy background but i just love that someone's gonna go like I gotta consider the nerds more than I was planning on considering. Yeah, I think I think in this industry it helps to be versatile, uh, and I think coming from a comedy background, actually all the writers on Judas come they come we come from comedy backgrounds. So I think it's uh, that ability to to pivot into drama and to to be able to tell as many different stories as possible that that I think is just fascinating. Oh yeah, and like you said, working with Apatow. Lord and Miller, you have worked with before, and I'm working with again. Working with Seth MacFarlane on on uh, Revenge of the Nerds, you uh, you're not gonna have a lot of time to sit down in the coming coming years. So enjoy the, enjoy quarantine while you can. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that, man. I, you know, as crazy as this year has been, uh, it's certainly been a time of reflecting, and uh, I, I've appreciated the the peace at some. You know, just not being able to like you know run around all the time just being able to just sit down oh, yeah. but, you know things hopefully things will change because I'm ready, I'm ready to go oh, back yeah. outside I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure your schedule is is booked once this is once once you got vaccinated once you got vaccinated <laughs> they uh they have a call time almost ready for you They're like we're good <laughs> like <laughs> we, we've sent you the check you need to show up now <laughs> it's hilarious uh, uh 
uh, Miles? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Miles Per Hour. That's M Y L E S Per Hour. I'm also on Instagram at Marvelous Miles, though, as always, I never check it. Uh, and um, my latest short film, American Exorcist, is on YouTube. You can find it under the uh, channel Aftershock Film or Aftershock Pictures. And uh, it's nowhere near as big or bold or exciting as Keith's film, but it's still a fun little, you know, eight minute horror comedy. And I would love for people to check it out. And and you guys do share one thing in common. Neither one is produced by Kevin Spacey. <laughs> That's good insight. Yeah, you both. Yeah, you both made that decision. Uh, Steve, uh, you go now, and feel free to uh, figure out how you also don't involve Kevin Spacey. Uh, that's pretty easy. Wait, hold on. He's just texting me. Tell him after. Yeah, please wait. Um, he's, so, he's an angel investor. <laughs> hush, hush. Um, <laughs> so you can find me uh, at Film Snork on Twitter and MySpace, and yeah. that's it. Follow me there for all the fun. Sure. What about Friendster? Tweet. I no, I, I dropped out of Friendster. Mm, but MySpace it's, still going strong. They, they started censoring my my tweet <laughs> or my my friend. Any, so you so you've moved you moved over the parlor. Oh man, parlor's crazy. Right that is uh, that's. Have, has anyone has anyone noticed that the crazier responses, whether it's crazy with racism or xenophobia or, or whichever crazy you're going with. Almost always, there's a number of misspellings. Oh yeah, they're, you know they're not they're not scholars. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> no. I almost like it's it makes it both better and worse. Like I like I love like I, I fall down the rabbit hole of looking at some of these things. Like all these people who keep saying like they keep saying the election was stolen, but they haven't shown us evidence. Like they like they're eventually going to have to do that, or I'm going to stop believing them because that's that's their version of like oh I'm being understanding, but you know three of the words on each sentence are misspelled i feel better for a minute going oh they're just right, stupid like, right okay but then i remember like oh fuck mm-hmm. most people are stupid like yeah it's like it's not even not exactly like they're not the scientific movie. you know what i mean it's like they have their beliefs no. and they're going to believe them irrespective of the evidence and it doesn't it doesn't matter if you you tell them otherwise they, they their, their beliefs are entrenched and uh, I think a lot yeah. of people are like that in, throughout the, the the universe <laughs> it's like they believe yeah, i do what they wish i believe. cared about I do wish I cared about anything as much as they care about everything. Right, right, right. right. Like, that's, like, I, listen, I, there are things that I can believe with no facts. Like, I will, you know, I love Kevin Smith, and I, I don't necessarily have the facts to back up that he's, you know, an amazing filmmaker, but I will go to bat for him. But that's a little bit different than, like, you know, Bill Gates is trying to put a computer chip in the vaccine right. to, like, track where you're going. Which also, I love that everyone assume everyone who assumes conspiracy theories thinks they're very important. Yep. Like I don't think I'm very important. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Like I'm not really worried about being tracked. Like I don't do anything. Right. Yeah. I'm not an interesting. Yeah, person. I don't get why people believe that you know the government's going out of their way. Like it's like yeah, maybe for some people, but you know, not everybody. <laughs> Says the guy who just people. and not only that, everyone is sort of disqualifying the tracking chip we've all already got in our phones, right? And a computer, and and the and the camera in your computer that looks directly at precisely, you, no yeah. matter what you're doing. I want yeah. the chip. I I want the chip so I can get more targeted ads. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. if they want to if they want to get you, they're going to get you. You know, it's, you know exactly. I do love that yeah. Keith is saying he's not worried about being tracked after he made the movie about the U.S. government assassinating <laughs> someone. <laughs> well, I like to believe that because I'm a comedian. They're like, oh, he's probably just joking around. 
<laughs> yeah, he's just making he's just making this up. What a what a card. <laughs> but who knows? You get the knock on the door. I do you um you were talking about Patrice O'Neill. I used to listen to him all the time on Opie and Anthony, and it made me think of before they you know became problematic. Yeah, they're, they're... I guess they always were, but still, it was funny. I th- those kind of shows like him and Howard Stern, like, like them and Howard Stern. They always had like comedians. When you're a kid, you don't and really. You know when you're a kid, you don't really like understand like the the context of behind these guys. But once you get older, you're like, oh, these motherfuckers are crazy. But yeah, because because I, I, I remember like my dad listened to him when I was a kid. But I yeah, you know, he changed the channel if I was there for more than a a little bit in the car but like in the early days of xm i would i would listen and it just was like it was like a a, a routine right and when they got like overtly whatever whether they got into like republican stuff or they sounded a little racist i would i would either change it or you're just like Ugh, I just don't do that go back to being funny mm-hmm. um but they would have like patrice was amazing louis ck would go on all the time and and there was one bit i don't know if you ever heard it this is you can find it on youtube it's amazing Donald Rumsfeld is the guest. Oh, wow. wow. Like, they have him on to talk about his book, and Louis C.K. is on it, and asks them if he's a lizard. <laughs> like, just repeatedly goes, like, you can deny it. Like, just deny to me that you're a lizard who eats human flesh. And he won't do it, because it's ridiculous. But also, Louis' point is, so you're, you won't deny you're a lizard? Like, I would be happy to have the opportunity to deny that I'm a lizard. You know, oh, that's exactly what a lizard would say. And once they get off, they get off the phone. They're like, you know, when you get home tonight, there's going to be someone waiting in your apartment. Like, you know, leave the light off, Louie. <laughs> just a just a guy with a silenced pistol and a, and a top hat going like, mm, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I, I, I always think of that when I think of like someone who's like, I'm not scared of the government. You know, you made something that's going to anger the government, right? Like, I mean, but right. the way I see it, like being a black man in America, you you, you already assume the government doesn't love yeah. you anyway. So it's like, I'm, it's not like I, it can get any worse for me. Like it's already, I'm already at the bottom right here. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter no. to me. On the plus side, there's two of you. So they got a 50% chance exactly. of missing. <laughs> it's like, why do you think I keep my brother so close? <laughs> Just in case. Funny part is somewhere Kenny's doing a conversation with someone where he's saying the exact same thing. <laughs> exactly, it's the plan. Got to have a plan. Uh, exactly. And on that note, that's almost as bad as the Kevin Spacey chatter from last week. Uh, you can follow me uh, on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Letterboxd, probably OnlyFans before long. Um, just my name. And by the time you're listening to this, it will be Christmas. It will be uh, New Year's Eve, so we'll be uh, done with 2020. And one certainly hopes that next year is better. Kind of can't be worse. One should hope, except for Keith. Except for Keith, who made a movie, <laughs> you know. But you know, can, can we thing. all just knock on wood though? Because it can totally. Yeah, get that's worse. true. That's true. That's true. Still, yeah. How many more days Trump uh, has in office? <laughs> yeah. Uh, like two weeks or something like that. It's two and a half yeah, weeks. I want to survive that. I so. mean, <laughs> that's true. I mean, he is in he is in the which is crazy considering the last four years were this anyway. But this is really the like I don't give a fuck about y'all. Oh yeah, phase of oh, his yeah. presidency. Like, I've never I've never I've never found it's the first time in history someone's been like give everyone two thousand dollars, which means fuck you. Like, <laughs> like yeah, I, yeah, I want two thousand dollars, but you know you're keeping me from getting like six hundred, and right unemployment right. insurance, and, it, and he's shutting and, like, down the government. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, like. Ugh. I hope I hope it means that there's no plumber in the. And way. you also know, like he's not. He doesn't. He doesn't do good things. So like he's just saying, I'll I'll no. give. You, he's just like exactly. he's using it just to. He's fucking insane, man. So. 
No, I, I love that everyone knows what I mean. It's like, he's not doing good <laughs> things. Like, yeah. This isn't a good like, thing. This isn't a watershed no, moment. No, no, no. He hasn't, see, he did, he exactly. hasn't seen he's, the light. <laughs> he's managed to make us skeptical of free money. <laughs> like, like, what did you put That's on? how bad he's gotten. <laughs> yeah. He's like, here's a $2,000 bill. You're like, did you wipe your ass with it? Like, why? What, what did you do? You found out that there's cocaine on it and you're a germaphobe, and that's why you're handing it to me, right? That's, that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. Ugh. What's the catch? Uh, exactly. What's the catch? It's not about you? Oh, there must be a catch. There's always a catch. But, exactly. So, here's hoping that at least we have a, a better year and eventually uh, we can back at the movie theaters and we can uh, be, be on dates. Yeah. Doing things. Yeah, maybe not Steve. He's married and Miles has a girlfriend. So, me, I w- I'd like to go on a date again. How oh, do you mean like dates like, you know, having date nights at the movie? I mean, I don't really care yeah. what they do with their significant others. I'm talking about me. Who's oh, I see, I see, I see. <laughs> I, got, I, get it. I got priorities. <laughs> Some of us need to get out. Solo, a Joey story. <laughs> <laughs> Screening nightly. But I'm... And that was and that was how the the year in awards radar podcasting ends on a bad masturbation joke. Look, you got it. You got it. You got to shoot, uh, man. You got to shoot. I certainly shot my shot. <laughs> Uh, I was about to say, it's never a lonely night when it's just you and your right hand. <laughs> left. Okay. Some of us are some of us are left-handed. Yeah. Well, maybe that's the trick. Maybe you got to mix it up. Oh yeah, Let's sit on the hand too. Mm. Now we're now we're just getting weird. Uh, <laughs> Who can make the well, worst masturbation joke before we stop recording? Oh, you know I can if I really want to. Mm. I, I I nominate Joey. <laughs> oh, it involves Kevin Spacey. <laughs> An hour uh, from now, he's going to be like, "Oh, wait, no, I've got a really bad one." <laughs> I'm just going to send extra clips, like uh, like like line readings to uh, Steve. Insert this one instead. That way, I don't have to do it now. Sneak him in there. Exactly. Just pepper them in. Uh, in any event, we're going to wrap up now. Hopefully, we can see you guys at the movies. Eventually. That would be beautiful, uh, man. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. I mean, God knows. I'm sure. Keith would have liked to have had like the opening weekend Q and A's and all that. Hopefully more, more attended than the one I described. <laughs> but you know, even if it was, I think you would take six people with me. You looking sweaty and I look at at this stage. I'll definitely it. take six people. I mean, that's that's better than nothing. At this point, I think you would only accept six. That's people. true. <laughs> more than that, you'd be like, I'm six people with masks in- on who's social distance. Yeah, you're like, enjoy the movie. I'll be outside. <laughs> Don't you dare eat or drink during this. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll hopefully be able to uh, to talk more about the world being normal. And uh, at some point after the movie comes out, it'd be great to to have you on again and uh, talk about it. Once we can we can talk about it as a as a yeah film, yeah I yeah. I would love to come back on and talk to you guys about it in more detail. That'd be great. Spoiler: One of us won't. <laughs> Actually, that might be fun. Look, look, a a friendly discussion about it would be awesome, even if someone doesn't like it. So that would be cool. That and I'm waiting to see the Armin White review. Oh, yeah, he's going to (laughs) hate it for sure. (laughs) Oh, he's going to call you a racist. Oh, yeah. I already know he's going to hate it. So it's like I want to I want to see the like, you know, he does not the best of list does the better than list. And he's going to say that, like, what's the like least comparable? Because he always picks like something that makes no sense. He's like. You know, Resident Evil Seven better than Avatar. You're like, well, maybe, but like, did either of us win in that comparison? Like, you're just, you're just thinking of things you saw in 3D this year. He's gonna, I can only imagine what he's gonna pick. 
<laughs> be like, this was the true Fred Hampton story. Like, sir, Fred Hampton wasn't in that movie. <laughs> He's like, White Boy Rick, better than, than <laughs> Judas the Black Messiah. Like, the movie's three years old and not about the same thing. Yeah, I'm I'm really, I'm highly anticipating his review, man. I mean, that's that's gonna be <laughs> that's the one. That's the one I'm gonna base my stand-up special on. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if if you don't get stand-up and or therapy out of it, it's not a good review. <laughs> awesome. And on and on that latest horrible movie, <laughs> we can we gotta wrap up. So thank you again. This is awesome, man. This is uh, awesome. My pleasure. Thanks, man. Great. It's great to do it, and. Uh, yeah, everyone, thanks for, for sticking with us. And uh, 13 or 14 episodes in since September. So we'll uh, here's to uh, one a week in, in 2021. Cheers to 2021, man. Fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. Happy New Year. Happy everybody. New Year, guys. Cheers. Awesome, guys. Thank you.